All right, Julie, welcome to Saltier Politics. How are you doing? I'm very happy not to have to think about the president of the United States every day. How about you? I am in a very good mood, although it's snowy and gross right now. But that being my biggest worry at the moment, well, there's a lot happening in the news, but I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm better than everybody in Texas. That's very odd. <laughs> you know, I was just in Dallas last month in early January, and it's such a great city, and the people there are so nice and welcoming. And their dope senator aside, um, they deserve so much better than their politicians, who I guess they elect, so maybe not. I mean, you get the government you, just, you vote for. But this grid situation is insane. This is like... You know what this is? This is those kids in 10th grade who read Atlas Shrugged and they get really into Ayn Rand and they're like, this makes a lot of sense. It's all about self-reliance and everything's all about my, you know, I'm only as good as me and I can only take care of myself. And it's just, you know, I don't need government. I don't need anybody. I'm self-resilient. That's all very nice when you're in 10th grade and you're exploring political theory, mm-hmm. but how these 10th graders actually get to the point where they're running one of the largest states in the nation makes no sense to me. This is literally like the Ayn Rand 15-year-old fan club suddenly in charge of a major state, and this is the end result. I mean, I don't know if you saw Rick Perry, the former governor of Texas, who also, by the way, the former energy secretary under Donald Trump was like, yeah, Texans won't mind these kinds of situations. These rolling blackouts is just, just to keep government out of their grid. Really? Yeah. To keep, are you sure at least we that? don't have federal regulations. Yeah. Meanwhile, people are literally freezing to death. It's just, it's amazing. I, I just don't understand. Like it, it's kind of like coronavirus. Yeah. Okay. We had half a million people die, but I'm still not going to wear a mask because the government can't tell me what to do. It's it's a massive humanitarian crisis, and it's being just handled poorly. I would like to note, though, my dad, who does not have Twitter, texted me a screenshot of your tweet, which is really freaking good. Yeah, he's like, Julie, tweet. And I was like, what? And yeah, because (laughs) it has like almost half a million likes. Um, It was really good, though. I get it now. Ted and Heidi Cruz wanted their children to be safe, to have basic sanitary services, like heat and running water, to leave behind a third world apocalyptic nightmare for a safer place. Like so many parents before them, they decided to cross the Mexican border. You know what's so funny about that tweet? It kind of went viral. Um, the most exciting part of that tweet is I think Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie liked it or retweeted it, which if you're um, 47-year-old Julie Roginski and you think back about being 7-year-old Julie Roginski is pretty much as cool as it gets, but that's neither here nor there. Um, what's cool is that, not cool, what's interesting about that is I was literally on a conference call and I was kind of bored and I just wrote that and tweeted it out and it kind of went viral, which is, which is nice, but also kind of unexpected because, um, it is very, it is, I guess it's true, right? That, and so many people misunderstood that tweet. They're like, oh, but you know, these illegal Mexicans, they come here without permission they're here illegally, whereas Ted Cruz bought a ticket. He was legal. Well, I mean, there's so many things wrong with, with that argument. Argument number one is it is not illegal to request asylum. 
in this country. And yet when people did, when they arrived at our border, which is what you have to do to request asylum, um, they were not just denied, but they were separated from their children, which is awful. And secondly, it's just, this is who's running our nation. People like Ted Cruz. I mean, this is, he is in the most exclusive club in the world. He's one out of a hundred of the most exclusive, as I said, of the most exclusive club in the world. And the fact that people like Ted Cruz are actually in charge of policy and that people vote for them. Also, I mean, like Texas. Right. And he also, what I thought was just completely cowardly and a cop out was blaming his twins for no, going. Twins. Yeah, or, blaming daughters. Yeah, one is 10 and one is 12. Yeah, like, are you kidding me? Has your son ever been the one to lead your decision to go somewhere? Like, and you're well, you, an elected official? Um, yes, my son insisted that we go to a place called Camelback in the Poconos last week, or two weeks ago to their water park, where I think I needed a tetanus shot after getting out of that pool. <laughs> but that's also neither here nor there. Um, He's also eight, so no, he doesn't. And there are 10 and 12, so no, they shouldn't. And of course they don't. And of course it turned out that Heidi Cruz wrote an email to all her friends saying, it's freezing here, we're gonna take off and go to Cancun. Don't begrudge them. I mean, really do not begrudge them. If Heidi Cruz and those and her girls want to go down to Cancun and they have the wherewithal and the means to get out of the hellscape that is Houston, Texas at the moment, and go down to Cancun, I truly do not begrudge them that. But I begrudge the following. I begrudge the fact that a public official like Ted Cruz thinks there's really nothing he could be doing in Texas, that he could go to the Ritz-Carlton in Mexico and do the exact same thing that he was doing in Texas. But I, what I really begrudge is not that. What I begrudge is the double standard that we have towards fellow human beings. So Heidi Cruz and her daughters couldn't function in Houston, nor should they have to, because it's a really horrible situation down there. But the lack of empathy from her husband, Ted Cruz, I don't know about her views on this, about parents who are desperate, desperate to get their children out of much worse situations, because eventually the Houston debacle, the Texas debacle will be over. Um, either they will get on a national grid where they could borrow energy from states that don't need it as much, or they'll continue to have these rolling blackouts, which will be their own fault for not electing officials who um, do better by their constituents. But nevertheless, um, they are going to overcome this. So many people that come to this country, to the Mexican border, have no other choices. They're living in places where they are, their children might get raped or killed. I mean, literally sold into sexual slavery. And they're coming here after walking or, or hitching rides or paying some coyote the last remaining cent or peso that they have to come here. And there's no sympathy for them, none from the likes of Ted Cruz. And yet somehow we're supposed to sympathize with him if you take him at his word that his girls wanted to go to Cancun and since school was over canceled for the week, he said, what the hell, we'll go. I mean, just the complete callousness, the complete lack of any kind of empathy towards fellow human beings. I don't understand it. And I mean, look, I, I'm informed by the fact that I, I think, obviously, we've talked about this before. I came here as a little girl, as a political refugee, but 
to think that anybody would want to put themselves through that. Because I promise you, it's not getting on a United flight in economy class, which apparently for Ted Cruz is a massive hardship, which is why he flew standby to go into business on the way back, to hang out at the Ritz-Carlton for a few days. (laughs) I've been to Cancun. It's really nice. And yet there's no sympathy whatsoever for anybody who tries to come here for the to save their their kids or to save their families and um and I think that's why everybody hates Ted Cruz. Right, I saw an interesting uh tweet or meme, I forget, but it was like Ted Cruz we we didn't think we could hate Ted Cruz more after the Capitol riots and yet he exceeded expectations by going to Cancun. Um, I, I don't understand how this guy gets reelected, but I hope people don't forget about this moment. I'll tell you how he years. gets reelected. He gets reelected because uh, Governor Abbott of Texas and other leaders in the state of Texas make it virtually impossible for black and brown people to vote, whether it's voter ID laws that disproportionately disenfranchise communities of color, where it is um Whereas it could be having drop boxes in places like Harris County, which um, I, I think it's Harris County, Houston, but um, that may not be the name of the county. But anyway, the county where Houston is, which obviously is a very democratic area, only one place to drop off your ballot in the entire county, which is bigger than most states. Um, I mean, they make it very, very, very hard for black and brown people to vote, who, by the way, should be voting illegally. And you're and, absolutely right. I think Kelly Loeffler is trying to do that in Georgia now and, yeah. and restrict yeah. voting. So true. Yeah. And what's awful about it is that they're enabled by this, by the Supreme Court. I mean, the Supreme Court has absolutely allowed over the last few years states that were previously under monitorship because they had histories of um, disenfranchising black and brown voters places like Texas, to no longer have to be monitored So by the Justice Department. So as a result, they're able to do whatever they want. And every time you hear about Republicans screaming and ranting and raving about the fact that they are upset that um, this election was quote-unquote stolen, although nobody can <laughs> explain how that is, understand what they do every single day is disenfranchise people who are here illegally and are American citizens and should be voting legally. They make it virtually impossible for them to vote. And Stacey Abrams did a masterful job in uh, Georgia to change that trajectory. And I really hope she either exports that to Texas or people in Texas call her and say, what did you do and how could we make this possible here in Texas? Otherwise, you'll have Ted Cruz forever. And not just Ted Cruz, people like Abbott, people like Perry, um, who have made the grid possible. I mean, a a decade ago, when Rick Perry was the governor of Texas, Texas was told that they better weatherize because something bad's gonna happen. But they don't believe in climate change. And by the way, this is the energy capital of the world, or at least of the nation, Texas. And then of course, instead of doing the right thing, they start lying and blaming it on renewables when it's absurd to think that renewables are powering the Texas grid and Republicans have been in charge of the Texas grid all these all these years. I mean, Ann Richards was the last Democratic governor of Texas. And then we I, had George Bush for a couple of terms. And then we had Rick Perry for what seemed 100 years. And now you've got Greg Abbott. 
what renewables, what, what planet is the fossil fuel capital of America suddenly subjected to subject to renewables? I mean, it doesn't pass the laugh test, but nevertheless, they're shoveling it out there. No. And that's, what's so sad about it too. It's like, right. As we get into re rejoin the Paris agreement, uh, this is happening. And it's, it's, I think this could be an opportunity to really ramp up renewable energy for Texas and also around the country. And this be a warning of what is what happening in Texas to kind of show the rest of the world that us rejoining is just us also doubling down on our trying to fix the climate. But do you think that's something that's going to happen or do you think actual legislation isn't going to? No, I think it's impossible. It's impossible for climate change to be addressed in any meaningful way because it has become a religion on the part of the right to pretend that it's not an issue. And look, Fox News spent a good part of all the time that I was there talking about how climate change wasn't real. How many times was I on a set, either Fox and Friends or Hannity or any of those other places where it would snow outside um, and somebody would say, oh, you know, one of the anchors would say, I mean, you're talking about global warming, but look at how heavily it's snowing here. I mean, consistently, consistently, people would be like, yeah, I mean, it's really cold here. What kind of global warming? I mean, it's, it's, it's become the lack of respect for science has become a religion. And so is it surprising to you that COVID is where we are in this? We've gotten to the point where we've gotten to in this country. With COVID, you could take a direct express train from the climate denialism of the last 25 years that you and I both heard on a daily basis working at Fox straight to what they're now denying about the science with COVID. Right. Consistently. And all the deaths that ensue. Yeah. And by the way. And people don't have to die. People don't have to die. And with climate, it's only going to get worse. I mean, all over the world, it's going to get worse because people will have to, we're going to have massive refugee crises because people are going to be leaving where they've lived for generations, if not millennia, because you're not going to be able to farm that land anymore because of climate change or there's not going to be enough water. And those people are, there's going to be mass migration to other places. I mean, we're about to see a mass, we haven't already started, a mass migration, the likes of which we haven't seen in a really long time. And it's going to happen in the next generation, if not sooner. Right. And, and, and we're it's not ready real, for it. people deny climate change. They just don't, they just pretend it doesn't exist. They deny COVID. They pretend that's not a real thing. It's, it's, or they don't take measures that actually affect bringing down the curve. Because apparently it's more important to party like a rock star in Miami than it is to prevent grandma from catching COVID in Florida. Right. It's, it's, it's just consistently insane. And it leads to, you know, it's almost like you could draw a trajectory from Rush Limbaugh's rise in the late 80s, early 90s 
to this, this completely ignoramus strain in American culture. It's just, it's, it's just amazing. We used to agree on certain basic facts. We don't even agree on them anymore. I mean, two plus two is four is something everybody used to agree on, but they just don't agree on it anymore. Like they don't, they don't right. agree that it's and and it's and, and then you can't even get into actual policy decisions because you're you're arguing yes it is snowing however that does not mean global warming doesn't exist well, so you can't have actual discussions well great example you have a member of congress a republican member of the house who just got elected from north carolina who said that rather than hiring legislative staff, he was going to put the emphasis on hiring communication staff because it's much more important to be a rock star on Fox or on Twitter or on Facebook or at CPAC, which is coming up, or um, on Newsmax than it is to actually pass legislation. Because if you're a rock star, on any of those networks, you have the ability to raise money, you can monetize it for your political career, and you could be Donald Trump, right? That's how you win. I mean, look at look at any of these people. Look at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's about to become the next governor of Arkansas. Why? Because she was a comms person. She lied for Donald Trump. Look at all of these people who... There's no policy. There's nothing substantive about them. They haven't actually accomplished anything. But they're going to raise all this money because they're rock stars on Twitter or they're rock stars on um, Fox or, or, or Newsmax or somewhere. How do you advise an opponent who is going against someone like that? I mean, look, most of the districts that they're running in are all gerrymandered districts. So Marjorie Taylor Greene ran in one of the most Republican districts in the country. So how do you advise an opponent in a primary? It's very hard to because primary voters are really subject to that. The way to do it for real is, I mean, gerrymandering is a horrible thing that happens in this country. And when we create districts that are really overwhelmingly Democratic or overwhelmingly Republican, that means that people just play to the base. If you look at some of these districts in Texas, like you wonder why Texas is Republican, look at some of these districts in Texas. It's like a three-year-old took a pencil and drew this district. It makes no sense at all, except for the fact that they carve out either really, really, really um, conservative districts where it's almost impossible for anybody to win unless they run really to the right or they pack all the Democrats or people of color into a few districts in order to make sure that they dilute their voting power in other districts. It's basically packing. So it's, it's just another example of, of what we've done. I mean, when you have Party and look, I, I say this as somebody who's worked as a as a quote unquote party operative for a long time. So so trust me, I know of, of what I speak here. Um, it's it's you're never going to solve this problem 
ever, unless you address gerrymandering, you're never going to solve this problem unless you address um, truth in media. And you're never going to solve this problem until people like Facebook take it seriously. And then you have Facebook, which apparently has no problem banning um, crazies from Facebook, but nevertheless doesn't ban their supporters from amplifying what they're saying consistently. And when the paradigm is, or the algorithm basically tells you that what you have to do is generate a lot of controversy because that's what the Facebook algorithm supports, that's what you have. I mean, you have a tinderbox. We are living in a tinderbox. And it's terrifying. It's it's not a surprise to me that what happened to the Capitol happened. And it's not a surprise to me when something much worse happens, and it will. And right. because everything's become about entertainment. It's become about consumption. It's this reality world. Like you think about almost how far back this goes. Remember we interviewed Steve Kornacki a couple of years ago in this podcast right. about his book about when this all began. And he said in 1990, really in his mind, it began when, with the rise of Newt Gingrich, when Gingrich pushed out Jim Wright, the former speaker. Um, and then there was some sort of comedy on the Hill before that. And then the rise of Newt Gingrich kind of eradicated that. I actually, Steve is right, but I, but I would say it goes back even further than that. It goes back to when Reagan got rid of the Fairness Doctrine, which allowed um, people like Rush Limbaugh to exist because you never had to give equal time anymore. It happened when algorithms on social, and then it continued to happen when algorithms on social media um, just continued to engender dissent and debate. And it happened probably about 20 years ago. And this is where you and I part ways because I know how much you love your reality TV. But Mark Burnett has a hand in this. And not just because he created Donald Trump and wouldn't hold him accountable when we know there are tapes that exist of The Apprentice where Donald Trump apparently says some horrible things that Mark Burnett won't release. But it's also when Mark Burnett created Survivor, which led to all of these different quote unquote reality shows where people think what they're seeing on TV is reality when it's anything but like we know the real housewives of New York is not real. We know their storylines. We know the Kardashians have storylines, but people confuse reality with, with for profit storylines and drama that is created for the benefit of drama for the benefit of ratings. And that applies to the real world now. So that Donald Trump is the hypothesis of that. It was drama for the sake of ratings. And all of these politicians say ever more insane stuff in order to get ratings. And I mean, then it creates it creates this horrible cycle, too, because then you're in a control room and it's do you take the Donald Trump podium or do you mm-hmm. take actual news happening? But the podium is getting you numbers that are off the charts versus you know, a news conference on the latest COVID numbers. I mean, I saw this joke when I was at Fox. Um, it was almost like um, what the WWF was when I was little in the 80s, um, Worldwide Wrestling Federation, where you had the good guys and the bad guys, the white hats and the black hats, and, and it was all for show. 
wasn't wasn't really real. But people would cheer for their side and they would hate the other side. And everybody understood the role they had to play and it was all preordained. That's what this is. It's not news. It's not news at all. It's entertainment. But much like reality TV has made people believe that it's news, that it's that it's reality when it's really entertainment. It's entertainment masquerading as reality. Same thing here. That's what the news has become. It's entertainment masquerading as news. Um, I was reading... You're you're the you're the housewives aficionado here. Is it Judice Teresa Judice? Is that Teresa her name? Teresa Judice, yes. All right. So I don't know anything about her, other than I think she served some time in prison. But I will also tell you that um, I was reading the New York Post, I think, or something, where they said she's desperately afraid she's going to get fired, so she is looking for some drama in her life to to play up for the show, so she doesn't get fired. Read it. Okay. Here's the thing. I couldn't care less what her drama is. I don't know who she is. Don't know. I've never seen one iota of that show and hopefully never will. But people think that's reality. So this woman is purposely going out there and seeking drama so that she could stay in her reality show because cameras following around boring women going to the Garden State Plaza in New Jersey and shopping for Manola Blahniks at the Nordstrom's is not entertaining. So you have to flip tables and, and create drama, whatever kind of drama she's looking to create. Um, that's kind of nuts. But people think that's reality. True. And, well, the reality, because I watched the season one premiere, uh, or the, the season's premiere of Jersey Housewives, and it okay. was she she made yeah. up but that's something. Okay. What? I'm embarrassed to know you, but that's okay. Keep going. <laughs> um, but any, well... <laughs> It was so good. It was so bad, but so good. She made up that one of the other housewives that she had seen another housewife's husband at the gym, and he was supposedly cheating on this woman. And she didn't have the receipts to back it up. She didn't have who told her that or when and where, and she just had this allegation. Okay. And stirring the pot, and this other housewife, Jackie, then made the uh, she's like, you have nothing to back this up. You, wh- why are you saying this? And Teresa spread this rumor at Jackie's husband's birthday party. And then okay. Jackie confronts her the next within the next couple days. And Jackie's like, what if I said something like, I think I heard from somebody, your daughter was snorting coke at college. She's like, it's not true. But what if I said that and started spreading that? Right now, Now your daughter has... And, and then Teresa just blew up. She's like, you don't bring kids into this, blah, blah, blah. You bring Which people caused, into this? Yeah, just, just because when Jackie was making that, um, you know, right. synonym and metaphor, like if you did that. But anyway, but it caused a major storyline and major drama on social media too. It's like, do you bring kids? Like, I, I think Jackie was in the right. I'm like, that isn't a, a good example. Um, but why would you try to ruin a family to perpetuate drama? Just because. Well, for ratings, right? And meanwhile, people think this is real. And I guess it is real in the sense that this is this woman and her husband. And and now they have to contend with all these rumors about their marriage. So, um, but that's what I mean. It's like, the whole thing is just absurd and it's awful. And you're going to see it play out this week or next at CPAC. 
where it used to be that the conservative movement was people like William F. Buckley and other intellectuals. I may not have agreed with them. George Will, great example of an intellectual um, who I didn't always agree with, but was an intellectual and is an intellectual. And now what is it? It's a bunch of reality stars, TV conservative pundits. Um, there's no thought process here. There's no, what do we stand for? Right now, the entire Republican Party, the conservative movement, quote unquote, stands for Jonestown. It's the cult of one man. And he can do no wrong. It's just, it's amazing. It's just amazing to me. And you think about how did we get here and how does it end? Like, how does the fever break? And I truly don't know. Right. I just know. I don't know how, it, I, I don't know how this ends. And going back full circle to Ted Cruz and his little trip to Cancun, he comes back, he apologizes. He concedes that they were going to stay there through through Saturday. And then he goes on Sean Hannity a couple of hours later and starts lying again. And basically says, yeah, I was just taking my daughters down there. Taking people for stupid, too. It's like, do you, do you really think people are, are going to forget? Yes. And he's not wrong because the people that watch Hannity only have one reality. And it's the reality. It's, 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 it's the reality that is created for them on that network or in the conservative media echo chamber. God, both you and I worked there long enough. We know how it works. Right. And, and the, the disgrace of it is that 90% of the people that are peddling this nonsense to them don't believe it themselves. They're just doing it for the ratings. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but God, I can name 10 people off the top of my head. I've been in an elevator when I've seen the anchors and hosts just completely be like, can you believe what Trump just said? It's bullshit. But, and then go on air, like see them. Of course. Supporting. Of course. Of course. And it's disgraceful and it's dishonest, but it's a business. It's about the bottom line. And the business is this. I have to stay relevant. Rush Limbaugh showed the way. The more outrageous stuff you say, the more people will tune in, the higher the ratings, the more relevant you are. It's about relevance. It's about money right. too, but it's about relevance. It's about walking down the street at the Republican National Convention or at CPAC and people lionizing you because you are the Coke dealer in chief to them. You're, you're, you're selling right. them the drug that they desperately need to stay angry because when they stay angry, anger is an emotion and it's an emotion that drives people. If they're angered, they're gonna keep tuning in. If you're telling them on a daily basis that the world's gonna end, then they're gonna tune in and they're not going to believe anything else. And that's how QAnon arises. I mean, all of this is just, it's so predictable. You go from Rush Limbaugh, not the band, from Rush Limbaugh to Donald Trump to now QAnon, what's next? What's next? And meanwhile, you've got the CEOs of these right-wing media companies putting the money in their pockets. They know it's all nonsense. 
but they're cashing in. And the anchors feel relevant. And the anchors go down to Florida to what's that place, Emily, that you we always the talk villages. about? The villages and sell tons of books. And but it's more than that. It's more than just selling books. It's people lining up out the door to see you. And how fulfilled your ego is by that. It's it's Trump saying that he had the largest inaugural crowds in the world because his ego needs to be fed. It's people running up to you when you're leaving the network and you walk outside and a bunch of fans are like, oh my God, can I have your autograph? Oh, I've seen you on TV. Could I have a selfie? It's the ego and it's selfish and nobody cares about the long-term effects that their awful behavior is having on this country. It's just, it's so frustrating to me. It's so, fr- it's, it's just awful. It's awful. Okay. And I don't know. It's all, it's all very sad. And when you think about it, you understand that it's, it's only going to get worse. Because well, QAnon, QAnon is worse than Trump, who was worse than right-wing talk radio. That's true. So it, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Well... Speaking of what something else, else. Well, speaking of yes. something else bad is what's happening to Britney Spears and this free Britney movement. I don't know if, if you got to see the documentary on Hulu. It's a New York Times documentary. Um, but pretty much Britney has been under this really long conservatorship by her father, Jamie, uh, since yes. her break, public breakdown 12 years ago. And it's very weird for somebody who's 38 who is breathing and who is functional to still be under a conservatorship. Because ever since she started being under this conservatorship, her career has gone really well, but she's not in charge of her money. She has to ask for permission every time she travels, makes a purchase, whatever. So, and he's still under this conservatorship. So Brittany is not in charge of her own destiny. And it's so bad. There are so many layers to this, but also another thing that this documentary kind of lined out was how bad the media treated Britney for so long. And like, even with Justin Timberlake made him like the bright eye and bushy tail football quarterback who, you know, this, this woman, this harlot cheated on him and, and now it's her fault. And then just the beating that Britney got in the media, like this is her fault. Look at her spiral. Like they built her up to knock her down. And it was just very compelling of one what Britney's under now and how awful and I think it ties into Julie with your whole NDA situation how people's lives are ruined by not being able to speak out um and perpetuate a horrible situation then also what kind of we were talking about before how the media just feeds these awful headlines of these narratives that aren't necessarily true but sell papers and pictures sell magazines well, I did not see the who, you know, I tried, <laughs> we were going to watch it last night. And then I was like, I don't have Hulu. I, I tried to get it. They wanted my credit card information. I just got too lazy to put it all in. So I, I have not yet seen it. I, you gave me a homework assignment before this pod. And I, I'm embarrassed to say I was too lazy to put my credit card number in. So I, I chose not to watch it. Next time um, I see you, I'll give you I my watch- account info. 
Okay, I don't think you should say that publicly lest Hulu come after you, but okay. Okay. But that's not the point. The point is, what what's interesting to me about Britney is about a decade ago when Britney was going through this, if not longer, Lindsay Lohan was going through this, um, and a few other women, young women, were going through this. And everybody, and I plead guilty, was going on sites like Perez, remember Perez Hilton? I don't know if that was, I don't know if he's still around, oh, yeah. but sites like Perez Hilton and um, other sites like that. And they're basically like on Britney death watch and Lindsay death watch. And everybody was kind of rooting for the train wreck. Like they just were paparazzi was rooting for the train wreck. Everybody's rooting for the train wreck. And you kind of think about living <clears throat> under that microscope from a young age, like Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears did. And how you could possibly grow up to be normal or adjust, I shouldn't say normal, adjusted, well-adjusted under that scenario. Your sexual, I mean, look at Britney Spears. Britney Spears first showed up when in 1999 or so wearing a little Catholic schoolgirl dress or, or skirt and a little shirt that was, you know, a belly shirt. Um, with the knee-high socks, sexualized out of her mind, but yet this little innocent Catholic schoolgirl thing with the with the pigtail braids. And just exactly how they did that to Britney Spears, and they never did that to Justin Timberlake or to any of the boys in NSYNC um, in the same way. Right, even when Justin was had the whole Janet Jackson Super Bowl situation, yeah. Janet Jackson was the the villain, not Justin. Janet, Janet Jackson was the villain. Janet Jackson was an adult woman who was probably 15 years older than Justin Timberlake. I don't know how old she is, but I think she's probably at least a decade older than he was. And yet, she got the career pushback and blowback <laughs> while they were dancing to his song. He ripped off the bra, whatever it was. Obviously, it was all coordinated, I think. Um, and I love Justin Timberlake. This is not by any stretch of the imagination going negative on Justin Timberlake. I, I actually think he's incredibly talented. Um, his music is fantastic. He seems like a good, decent guy, I guess. I don't know anything about him, but I have no reason to believe that he's a bad guy. But I think just by virtue of being the guy in that situation... Everybody felt sorry for Justin Timberlake. And Janet Jackson and Britney Spears got completely screwed. I don't know what's going on with Britney Spears. I have no idea what her mental state is. Maybe she needs help. Maybe she doesn't. I have no idea. I simply know this. If you are the breadwinner for your family from childhood, and therefore the power dynamic shifts because the parents need you more than you need them, um, to make a living, something happens to you as a kid and you see this in child actors all the time. And I don't care if my son were the next coming of Laurence Olivier, I would not let him get into entertainment unless he were an adult or at least old enough to be able to make his own decisions when he's 18 or so. But I don't understand how people allow their children to become the breadwinners or to become the celebrities in a 
at a time in their lives when they're not equipped emotionally to do that. Their brains are not yet developed. And especially to sexualize your kids the way Brittany was sexualized and the way Lindsay Lohan was sexualized. Um, it's just... And then the whole Britney, remember how Britney was pretending she was a virgin all this time? There's a whole weirdo right. Catholic school psychosexual dysfunctional thing going on there. It's just, right. it's completely, it's completely whacked. And I don't know. I have no idea what Britney's mental state is right now. Frankly, it's none of my business and it's not anybody else's business. And I don't know anything about her dad and maybe he's a nightmare or maybe her PR people have made him out to be a nightmare. And I, I don't really know what's going on. Is there an NDA attached? Yeah, there, there are multiple. And also like, for example, Brittany's fighting in court for her, for instead of her dad to be in charge of her finances, it to be with a bank. Okay. Um, and so right now she's in court paying her dad's legal bills to fight for this and paying her own legal bills. And then her mom is in it another way to try to advocate for Brittany. And Brittany's also paying for her mom's legal bills. So it's like this massive, just Brittany's paying for everything. Um, but she can't talk in, Why not? in a lot because I think she, there are many NDAs in the who midst. Made, who made Brittany sign an NDA? I don't know. I think it's tied to the conservatorship in some way. But um, it's just really bad because she is too, it's what, what the documentary made it seem like is she is too afraid to speak out um, about this conservatorship that she's under. Because I think there's a lot of money on the line and a lot of, and I think something about her kids too. I don't know. I mean... I don't know enough of a fact about this. As you know, I, I'm completely opposed to NDAs in these kinds of situations. Right. Unless Brittany knows the secret formula to Coke, I don't think she should have, or the secret formula to the Big Mac, I don't think she should have any NDAs that she's bound to, especially with her own family, which is absurd. Um, I have no idea what's going on with her kids, except, again, to say that her kids are young, right? They're teenagers or preteens. I don't know how old are her kids. Yeah, they're 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 young. I think they're they're preteens. And to have to deal with all of this in the public eye is also insane. And I can't understand why. Well, I don't know much about this, but I can't understand why her dad and her mom, who I think are divorced, right? So I don't know what kind of relationship they have, but why the family can't just come together and figure it out. Um. Unless her dad, does it seem like her dad needs the money? Is that yes. what he's like? And for her whole childhood, and there were a couple record label execs, early record label execs, talking about how her dad would just come in and say, how much money can this make? And he was very all about the money and all about how much can Brittany make for me? He was never about her well-being. It was what's the bottom line? Well, uh, you know, therefore, for the grace of God, go I and you and any future children that you may have and my son. And um, when you are a parent that has to depend on your child for um, a living or to improve your standard of living, that to me is a massive tragedy <laughs> because your child then Agreed. is no longer about your child is no longer your child. Your child is now then your product that you're selling. 
Right. And that's awful. And that's awful for everybody involved. And it's especially awful, clearly, for that child. And so it is no wonder to me that um, Britney Spears has the adversity that she has. And it's a shame that she's almost 40 and still having to deal with it. It's just, it's awful. Um, Agreed. So well, I will though. And it's too bad that they have NDAs. You know what? I don't know about free Britney, but free her from the NDAs for sure. Truth. Um, all right, Julie, what is making you salty this week? <laughs> well, you read my tweet, so it's Ted Cruz. <laughs> that was so good. Also, like people don't get this is like this is your sense of humor, which is great to be around. Oh, like, being Julie's you. friend is great because you have a very biting and like spot-on sense of humor and that tweet just encapsulated it thank you thank you um what's making you know what um I gotta be honest with you it's not nothing's making me that salty because I I, in addition to everything else that we've just talked about apart from everything else that we've just talked about I should say things are great um lift our voices is going really well we have some big announcements coming up in the next couple weeks which we will make um and obviously we'll let you know um some really exciting stuff happening. The only thing really that's making me salty is it's Lent. And as you know, I'm not Catholic, but um, as I, as I have for the last couple of years, I have given up alcohol for Lent out of, um, because somebody I care about very much does that every year. So uh, I gave up alcohol in solidarity and it's been about a week and I really would love a drink. <laughs> That's about it. That'll do so, it. Dinner at my house isn't going to be as much fun for the next couple, for a month or so. Um, but uh, but that's about it. Other than I, I kind of once in a while after sitting in the freezing cold here in New York City, would love to just kick back with a Tito's and soda. And I can't do that for the next month or so. <laughs> but you know what? That's not nothing to really complain about. I mean, I'll okay. complain about it anyway, but it's just nothing to complain about. Okay. How about you? I am salty about, yet again, my state of Florida, Ron DeSantis. And this goes yes. back to the beginning of our conversation. He put the yeah. flag at half mass uh, for Rush Limbaugh's death, which, what a waste. I mean, it's sad when anybody dies, but I don't think it's worth putting these state flags at half mast for. Rush Limbaugh. And I don't really <laughs> speak ill of the dead, but I'm actually going to make an exception here. I mean, women, minority, people of color. All the people except L- white men. L- LGBTQ. Everybody. Children. I mean, he called Chelsea Clinton the White House dog when she was 13 or 12. He said that people who died of AIDS had it coming to them. I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much that. Because they were gay. He said a woman who wanted, um, by the way, this is a man who got busted at the airport carrying Viagra prescriptions that were not in his own name, which presumably insurance paid for, by the way, because I believe Viagra is covered, complained that women who want insurance to pay for for birth control are sluts and just want the rest of us to pay for them to get laid. It's just, it's, it's, and I could go on. Right. Talks. On the more morality police 
him being the morality police. But but again, I think it, you see that pattern escalate to Donald Trump and to Donald Trump's whole ethos. And, and again, in typical fashion, the morality police, he was married four times, um, I believe. No children, which, uh, you know, that's to, to each their own. But this this family man, quote unquote, you know, kept getting married and remarried to ever younger women. Um, and was a drug addict. Everybody kind of just swept under the rug who supports him. He was an oxy addict. Had a Viagra, was popping Viagra pills, which again, no judgment, but not in his own name. Like, why are you, why are you stealing Viagra prescriptions? Why can't you just go and get it in your own name? Um, all of that is just so bizarre to me. I mean, it's the whole typical, it's, it's, it goes back to Ted Cruz. It's the whole do as I say, not as I do consistently, consistently, it, you know, Jerry Falwell, Donald Trump, at least, you know, Trump to his credit, when it came to sexual mores, never really started preaching to anybody about it. Trump, you know, was a complete crook and accused everybody else of projected everything that he did onto everybody else from trying to steal elections to, to stealing money. Um, but, you know, this morality police, whether it was Rush Limbaugh or Ted Cruz or, or Jerry Falwell Jr. or any of these people, like, at some point, does somebody just wake up who listens to them and believes what they say and says, these people are just lying to me because they don't believe in it themselves because if they did, they live their lives very differently? I mean, that would be the logical thing. But it goes back to what we were saying before. The cult is strong, and I just don't think anything's going to break it. Because if you try speaking truth to power to these people, they'll just go find the fix somewhere else. right? If their drug dealer cuts them off from the drugs, they'll just go to another drug dealer who's going to give it to them, which is why you're seeing people flee Fox for Newsmax, because God forbid, once in a while, somebody like Chris Steyerwalt says, oh, yeah, by the way, he won Arizona, Joe Biden won Arizona, and then gets fired for it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but they flee to Newsmax because they're upset because somebody's telling them the truth once in a, rare, in a very rare while. That's why I'm salty. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not, you know, it's not even salt. I'm kind of, I, I, I said this before. I said this on Twitter about a month ago and I mean it. I'm just not arguing with, with these people anymore in social media because I don't have the requisite psychiatric, psychiatric degree to be able to do that. And it's beyond political science. It's beyond analysis of human behavior. Even it is truly a psychological study or even a right. psychiatric study at this point. Right. Uh, why some people are more prone to joining cults than others. Why some people are more prone to drug addiction than others. I think there's got to be a correlation. What you're searching for, why why some people need the fix to be angered all the time more than others. Um, you know, I'll tell you a, a very funny, it's not funny actually at all, but an interesting story. I, many years ago, God, this has to be about 15 years ago, was hanging out with a guy who was a um, a big, sort of a big deal in the NRA in New York, which I think is not really that big of a deal because New York City's NRA is not, as you know, not that strong. But this guy was very, very big on guns. 
and I think you know, and I've said it a hundred times, I really hate guns. I just, I have this uh, averse reaction to, to firearms. Um, and they just make me uncomfortable to be around and I've, I've, I've gone shooting and, and I just don't like it, whatever, to each their own. And I said that to him and I said, I just, I, I don't like people carrying. I just don't like to see it. I don't like to think about it. It's just not my thing. And he looked at me really seriously and he said, um, well, when you get raped, not if, but when you get raped, don't blame me because you didn't have a gun on you. And I said to him, you know, and this just, this applies to what we were talking about before. I said to him, you know, what's interesting about you and me is that I don't wake up every morning fearing that I'm going to get raped. I, I guess it might happen, but I just, I don't, it's not, I don't walk around the streets wondering when that's going to happen to me or if it's going to happen to me. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe I should, maybe I should be more aware of my physical safety and whatnot. But, but the point is I don't. And it, it got me really thinking about people's psychiatrists, like, <laughs> sound like Carrie Bradshaw, it got me to thinking. Um, but it got me thinking about just people's psychology, different psychologies that people have about what they live life like. And I'm not saying one way is better, one way is worse. You know, I would say they live in fear. They would say they're vigilant. Um, but the reality is, I think it really is a very interesting study. And I'm sure people have done these studies of, of different types of, of brains and where their political affiliations are and where they are politically more prone to being influenced, right? I guess if you wake up every day and you fear being physically attacked, it would make all the sense in the world that you should arm yourself and all the sense in the world why you should carry weapons with you and all the sense in the world about why you want more law and order and, and, and yada, yada. Um, I don't, I don't bl blame those people. I don't begrudge it. But what I do find interesting is that what's the correlation between that and then being this fed, this constant stream of fear, they are coming for you. I don't know who they are, but they are people who don't look like you. Or there are people who are trying to take it away from you, your power. It's the feminazis, like Rush Limbaugh used to call women. It's, um, it's I forgot what he said about, you know, every composite sketch of every wanted poster in America looks like Jesse Jackson. Well, of course, they, that means they're black. Um, that's not even a dog whistle. That's like, you know, a dog siren. Um, it's gay people because they're coming to, I don't know what, convert your children to, you know, lifestyle of debauchery. I don't even know what it is, but you know, it's all the things that he constantly, not just him, but this right wing eco chamber consistently puts the fear of God into people. And I wonder if it's people who are already prone to living in fear, right? Which brings me back to my NRA story, about the guy who's like, when you get raped, not if, not in the event of, but when it happens to you. And I wonder if there's some sort of correlation there. Em. I wonder if there's a correlation between people who are fearful constantly um, and being more prone to, to that. They are stealing this election from you. They are taking away your cars and your refrigerators and your light bulbs because of their belief that global warming is, is this, this nonsense scientific theory of global warming in, in their eyes. I don't know. I, you know, we should get a psychiatrist on the show. I'm serious. That's what I was thinking. I think that should be our next pod. 
<laughs> we should study, we should find a good political psychiatrist, uh, somebody who's ever studied the evolution of, of the psychiatric sort of mind, um, the political mind and, 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 and how psychology affected. I'm serious. We're going to, we're going to do that. We're going to find yeah. somebody who's an expert in this field. I have a few ideas already. Um, because it's very fascinating to me. I agree. And it goes to, it underscores, it underscores everything we just talked about from the very beginning of the hour, which was, um, people in Houston or all across Texas who just want to keep the government out so much because they fear government overreach so much. They'd rather freeze in their cars than have some sort of federal regulation in their lives up to and including the success of Rush Limbaugh, which makes you salty. Oh, well, till next wow. week. <laughs> this is a pretty heavy episode we had here. I know. Where are you at an hour? And I didn't even, it went by really quick. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, we will do that. We'll find somebody for this podcast to talk to us about it next week or in the next couple of weeks. All right. Awesome. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. You too. Bye.